This is Dennis Cohen, and welcome to the Utterly Biased Podcast. For this episode of the Utterly Biased Podcast, I catch up with Rob Biederman and Patrick Patetti of Catalan. Catalan offers on-demand expertise for corporations and, and other size businesses who may want to find some an alternative to the big consulting firms. The company recently raised $41 million. Some of the details of the funding round are pretty interesting, especially for people who are out there trying to raise money for the first time or have already raised money and are trying to figure out how to do it best for the second or third time. A special thanks this week to T3 Advisors. If you don't know anything about T3, they are adept at finding startups, new homes, uh, making sure you have enough space as you grow. Um, so reach out to them if you're a startup or somebody looking for new office space. Uh, those are the guys to talk to in Boston. So this is Dennis Cohane here with the guys from Catalan, uh, Rob and Pat. Uh, they just raised a bunch of money from uh, inside investors in a round led by General Catalyst and Highland Capital, but there's a lot more going on. Uh, these days with Catalan, um, one of the hottest local companies, not hot, like that's a garbage term to use, but, uh, you know, one of the more interesting, fast-growing companies in Boston. Most, most people use the term sexy when they talk about it. <laughs> you about you guys want. personally? <laughs> or? Never have I been called hot. <laughs> so, um, you know, just quickly for people who don't know what Catalan, so Catalan, I knew Catalan as hourly nerd, you guys rebranded or whatever. Uh, that evolution was a couple of years ago. Uh, a lot of companies go through it, and you know I've, we've talked about it in the past. Um, but talk about your story in general, how you guys got together, uh, and how you came up with this idea, and then we'll talk about some other things that happened. Uh, sure, sure. So this is this is Rob. So Rob, for, yeah, Rob for will lead <laughs> You know, uh, we we started Catalan. Well, we started Hourly Nerd in 2013 when we were business school students. Uh, as part of a class project, which is obviously a, a fairly atypical founding story. Um, and I think even from the first day, we were back then working with small businesses and MBAs who could help on, on short-term projects. What we really were discovering was that there was a deeper need in the market um, for a new way to think about talent. And over time, that uh, customer segment has evolved for us, our supplier segment has evolved, the delivery mechanism has evolved. But all along, the core thesis has been that the full-time job uh, has way too much market share and flexible talent on demand has way too little. So when you say talent on demand, you're, you're being, there's something you're, you're talking about consulting, uh, specifically, right? Project to project basis. So just like how, like for people who might not know, like how does that world work? How does the like, world of consulting and, and, you know, working on a project by project basis and how does it normally work and how do you guys see fit to disrupt it? Sure. Sure. So in some ways consulting, um, actually laid a lot of the groundwork for our business model. You know, the original thesis of consulting was that you don't necessarily have all of the people inside your company to get the thing done, the things done that you need to. And I think what we found over time and, you know, largely was the result of a commercial insight Pat had last year with some of our customers, uh, is that companies need all sorts of flexible talent on demand. And, and the old timey consulting model with Bain, McKinsey, and BCG shouldn't take up as much of that space as it currently does. And that there are more 
dynamic ways to match talent with opportunity. Yeah, so when we, it, it used to be the case that up until really almost a, a year and a half ago, we thought that what we were building was a marketplace to disrupt the consulting industry. You know, the consulting industry in the U.S. is $250 billion a year. About 15% of that $250 billion are the consulting firms whose names you would know. You know, Bain, McKinsey, BCG, Accenture, Deloitte. Um, and the rest of it are this long tail of boutique consulting firms that are just really, really hard to find. Um, and so when we were when we were building the company, when big companies were starting to use our marketplace, we thought that they were using our marketplace as an alternative to traditional consulting firms. And so when we were, you know, prior to our last fundraise, we went out and we surveyed all of our customers and we asked them, we said, um, how would you have gotten the work done if you didn't use Catalan? And we assumed they would have said that we would have used, um, you know, traditional consulting firms. And then we would have made a really sick slide in our pitch deck that would have been like, look, <laughs> like we're disrupting the consulting industry. Come on. And it's $250 billion a year. It's more than 10x the size of Uber's market. And, you know, it's going to have the same impact of expanding the market and we'll be a, a huge company. But the interesting thing was when we asked that of our customers, um, only 45% said that they would have used a consulting firm. And we, at first we were shocked. We were like, well, what the hell? Like, how are we going to make this slide? The other 55% said they would have used, uh, either had to hire a full-time employee, they would have continued to look for somebody inside of the company to help them do the work, but they didn't think that that person existed, or if they did exist, they didn't know how to find them, or they would have tried to hire somebody who used to work at the company if they could find them, if they could find their email address. Mm -hmm. Like an alumni, right? An alum or somebody who retired from the company. And so we said, holy shit, like people aren't using us instead of consulting. People are using us as an alternative to access talent and get work done. And we actually went back to all the people who said they would have used us instead of consulting because we were really curious, like, why would you, why do you, why do these people like using consulting firms? Um, you know, I've probably met like a thousand people who have hired a consulting firm to get work done. And the truth is, like, I hate to say it, but like a thousand out of a thousand are not happy that they hired a consulting firm to do the work. They don't feel like they got the value they paid for. I think that's, a, that's, not just a consulting industry problem. I think it's a multi. There's, that's a problem in a lot of industries. Where totally right. You pay for the premium, the name, and then you get somebody who may have just come up off the street. Big and, time, man. Like legal industry yeah. consulting. Like it's, it's PR. Nuts. I know PR industry is like PR, that. Uh, branding and design agencies. Mm-hmm. Like it's like an it's like a it's like a firm problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but the so we went back and we asked all the people who are hired consulting firms. We we're like, why the hell do you hire consulting firms? Because every time you talk to us about it, you say that you were so unhappy with the output. And when we asked them, you know, they'd start by saying things like, well, you know, we needed like the stamp of approval or like they're a really good brand or whatever. But you'd push and push and push. And after you asked why enough, they would basically all say the same thing, which is we do not have access to the talent that we need to get the work done. Like we're a very big, um, large company. We're not based in one of the major cities in the U.S. And so it's really hard to hire the most talented people and get them to come work at our company. And so consulting firms at least give us access, to, and we're willing to pay crazy, crazy amounts of money to access the types of people that we can't hire, that so we can't how, get to work And here. so how do you guys w- come up with a better solution? How do we come up with a yeah. better solution? And what is your better solution? So our better solution is we use technology to connect companies to the person that they need or the people that they need who are best suited to help them solve their problem when they need it. And that used to be people who were in our marketplace. So we have a marketplace of around 40,000 independent contractors and boutique consulting firms. And those are the types of people that these companies couldn't find on their own. But increasingly, we're also using the same technology and the same software to help companies connect to other groups of talent that they already might have a relationship with, but that they use in an under-optimized way. So the consulting firms they already work with, 
right? But they, they hire and like, a, like they pick up the phone and they call them to work with them. The people who have left their company, so their alumni and their retirees, we get them onto technology, we make it easier to access them, understand what skills they have. Even the people inside the company, because these are companies that have 100,000, 200,000, 300,000 or more employees, they don't even know what skills and competencies exist inside the company. And so we're working with some of the biggest organizations in the world to think in a fundamentally different way about how they access talent and about who does the work. So do you th- is there, um, I imagine that there's a, a level of getting through the door that's that has been posed a challenge to some degree for you guys. You're young, you're not, you know, there's no legacy here. Uh, how, have, how have you dealt with that challenge and overcome it? Like, how do you break the barriers of the industry uh, as a kind of an upstart? Yeah, I think to a large extent, we've seen at each phase of the business that if you have customer pain that is so significant that they really have no other solution, they're willing to push through a lot of barriers and a lot of friction and trust a you know relatively new startup, which until a year ago had kind of a funky name, um, uh, because they just need a solution to their pain. Mm-hmm. And so you know, we first the first version of that was we had a website out there that we literally made for ten dollars on GoDaddy, and people were actually showing up and transacting business through it. Mm-hmm. And you know, to to be honest, uh, if you were cynical, it kind of looked like an internet scam, and people are paying a thousand. People. <laughs> and if when you have customers that are uh, so desperate for a solution that they're willing to push through the fact that you know, you, maybe you don't haven't even branded the product yet, and yeah. they're requesting it, and they're telling you uh, they want to use it, um, I think that th- that's when you really have the confidence to lean in and really go for something. And so. Uh, that that idea of the GoDaddy site is something you guys not that you've done again and again, but it's a way that you have figured out how your like that your products will work. Uh, totally. Can you explain that as you've like developed new products, as you've kind of made changes, as you've shifted what you're going to do? How what was the process? You explained it to me um, a little while ago, but but for someone out there who's thinking about you know changing course or or going in, in a different direction of some degree with their business or just slightly, if not like major, how, how did you go about that? What's the process you went through to do that? Yeah, you know, we, we hadn't read the book or been very thoughtful about it, but I think in many ways it's <laughs> a pretty... You didn't read the book Disrupt yeah. like everyone else has? <laughs> you know? uh, There's uh, got to be a book Disrupt. I'm just throwing it out there. there I bet there be is. There's a book called yeah. Disrupt out there. Uh, if not hundreds of probably them. Probably dozens. Yeah. Yeah. In, in many respects, it's actually a fairly classic by the book Lean Entrepreneurship Story of getting things that are minimally viable out into the market to see what customers do with them. You know, mm-hmm. our first small business site, we certainly never intended for enterprises, but we actually had enterprises showing up, paying with their personal credit cards and using their Gmail addresses for projects for their company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from that, we were able to draft up the specs for the enterprise platform. And then the current iteration where folks are using the the software we built for our freelancer marketplace for lots of different internal use cases was the same thing. We had people come to us and say, we love your product. We have other groups of people that we want to put through it. Will you help us to, to customize that for us? Yeah. And you have to be careful because customers will say that they want something, but you know if you go and just build it the way that they tell you they need it, it actually might not solve the need that they really have. And you don't want to put a ton of resources behind something that you don't have like good conviction in. So you actually have to be pretty smart and savvy about how do you test things in an effective way without making really big you know resource commitments to it. Like you're a startup, you know we ha- we you know we just raised a bunch of money and that's all great, but like we're only going to put money towards things that we have really high conviction are going to have you know profitable ROIs. And so when we go and we think about creating something new, like we have to be really, really clever about how we prove it's a good idea. So, you know, one example of that is when we actually thought way back in the day, this was, you know, year, three years ago, when we were thinking about building an enterprise platform, 
um, our approach was not to build an enterprise platform. Our approach was to get in front of enterprise potential enterprise customers and show them something that looked like a real website and see what they would say. Like a, yeah, I think you said you did it with PDFs or something. Yeah, yeah. Interestingly, we were invited to go to a meeting um, with about fifty people from a large enterprise, and the whole the only reason they invited us to this meeting is because their lunch their lunch presentation had canceled. They were in Boston for an offsite, and all they wanted to do was see like innovative new ideas out there. Mm-hmm. And they thought that we were a small business marketplace, and they thought, you know, well, you're not really relevant to us, but why don't you come in and just like tell us about what you're up to? I think I, I think I know the company you're talking about, and I think I've done that as well. They invited. Beautiful. It was something similar where they had somebody who canceled and they needed someone to come in to talk yeah, about exactly. innovation. Exactly, uh, man. It's awesome. And hey, I'm, I'm like super happy. I think I got a free bottle. Out. I got a free bottle of wine out of it. You guys may have got something better out of it. But yeah, we did. We did. Uh, yeah, we got like a good business idea. Um, but we, so what we did was we like, we real, we, they invited us on Friday. They told us the, the lunch presentation was on Monday. We went and found, we went on Dribble, which is an awesome uh, marketplace for designers. We found uh, a freelance designer who made us like five PDFs of like what an enterprise platform would look like. And we literally threw it into Envision, awesome, that Boston company, mm-hmm. threw it into Envision and then showed up in the meeting and spent the first 55 minutes telling them about our SMB marketplace. And then at the very end said, by the way, like, how come you guys have never asked about our enterprise platform? And they were like, what do you mean? Like, there's an enterprise platform? I said, yeah, do you guys want to see it? Like, we're almost out of time, but we can show it to you really quickly. And they're like, yeah, hell yeah, we want to see it. And we pull it up, click through the Envision, like, as fast as we can. And, like, lo and behold, they were at the end, they were like, shoot, we need that. Can we buy this? Mm -hmm. And we said, well, you know, we'll work with you together to put it, you know, put it in place. And, uh, you know, this was, like, three years ago, but that was really sort of, like, the the beginnings of having real conviction around building a platform for enterprise. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Uh, It's a great story. Uh, you also just raised uh, another round uh, in the ballpark of forty-three million, if I'm, if I'm correct, and which brings your total funding into the seventy million range, somewhere or seventy-three yeah. or somewhere around that. Uh, and that was an inside round, and and an inside round is when you you do your next round of funding with your previous in- investors. Yep. Um, so talk about that process of doing a round with your previous investors, not having to go out and seek someone new. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? Or, yeah, great question. Yeah, so this was our this was our second inside round of five. Mm-hmm. Our our um, B round was inside with the folks who'd done the seed and the A, and then this one was with basically everybody who'd previously invested. the The benefit of an inside round is that you're almost assured of vision alignment, mm-hmm. and and that to, to us that's been the most important um, part in selecting our investors and over time working with them. Um, the way this round came about was coming out of our February board meeting, which was which was a good one. Um, you know, they started to see real momentum in certain parts of the business that I think we saw, but hadn't yet fully kind of stepped behind and said, this is really what's going to drive the company going forward and said that they wanted to own more. And at the time we really weren't looking for money. We had plenty in the bank, um, but knew we were going to have to raise at the end of this year, early next year. Uh, and we were able to get to a deal pretty quickly just because we didn't have to burn any cycles, getting them up to speed on what we were doing and where we were going. And obviously the fact that they'd come to, you know, at that point, 12, 13 board meetings and seen things they liked made it um, a lot of the ordinary challenges in fundraising where you don't know each other, you don't know where the business is going. We were able to get past and it was largely just a conversation about price. Yeah. And there's a lot of like tactical things about, uh, about you know, inside rounds that can be beneficial. Like when you, when you bring in a new investor, typically they have some kind of ownership threshold they're trying to get to. Mm-hmm. When you have insiders, all they want to do is give you enough cash to make sure you can be successful. Mm-hmm. And so like you don't have to take more cash than you need. You don't have to sell an amount of the business that you don't want to sell. Um, you take on the money you want. You get a fair price, which like they were very fair. And, you know, we, we think we came to something that for both of us was fair. And, uh, and you just get going. You don't spend like tons of time on the road trying to raise money. Um, 
it's a lot easier and it's a lot more efficient. Excellent. And as you get to later parts of the company journey where the company has um, more predictability in its performance and it's getting closer to bringing in positive cash, uh, you can incorporate debt. And the great part of bringing debt in is it's significantly less dilutive and has a lower return than the equity. And so you can bring in the amount of money the, the company needs to operate while minimizing dilution to the employees, which is which has always been important to us. And Square One has been a fantastic partner and they also very quickly wanted to upsize their commitment. Yeah, so so a debt round is, just quickly explain what a debt round is because I have a follow-up question on that. Yeah, sure. So um, versus equity, ordinarily in an equity financing, people give you money, you take it in on day one and um, you don't have to give it back to them, but they get to own a percentage of the company. Uh, <laughs> uh, in debt, you take money in, you do have to give it back to them at some point, yeah. but they have a fixed rate of return that's probably between 3 and 8%. Whereas the return on equity when a company works is typically in the you know thirty to one hundred percent range, yeah. and so paying and so, back money sounds terrifying, but yeah. it's also at a much lower cost. No, but I think uh, you know there's a lot of companies who do debt rounds. I think if you do a debt round standalone, that's a sign of trouble often. Totally for, right for, for a company, and you don't right. get good terms. Yeah, and if you do right. a debt round as part of a bigger round, that's something different. And so, so yep. I think like for people who aren't sure what a debt round is, like what the because everyone's looking at signals, right? Yeah. Um, you know, so if you say we did an investment round with the debt round with a small amount of debt, mm-hmm. uh, which is what you guys did, yeah, that's not that's not uh, a bad signal. That's a good that's a good thing. Uh, if anything, totally. it shows that you know one one thing that I always thought about that is uh, entrepreneurs who are willing to give away for some percentage of their company, e.g., in an equity round, mm-hmm. must be less optimistic about it than people who don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would have I would have loved to do an entire debt round because I don't want to give up any ownership. Exactly. At this yeah. Point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that makes sense though. But no one sees it. But you know right. what I mean. No one sees right. it that way. This is uh, so things are going great here. Uh, you just moved into a new space here in Thompson Place. Uh, in Fort Point, I guess we're in Fort Point. You, you don't know where we're the right on the border are. now. Yeah. I think, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, it's a good sign. You know, there's a lot of construction going on in here. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of space for potential people. What are some of the biggest problems? Like now that you have the funding, like hiring, I imagine, is your next big step to growth. Uh, in, addition, in addition to getting more clients and, and customers, um, the the hiring is a, is a challenge. I would I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, we continue to. It's it's really important to us to keep the bar really high and the people that that we bring on board. You know, we're we we think that we have an exceptional team, and we have to work really hard to keep it that way. And so, as you have to bring on more and more people, it becomes harder because it isn't about adding one or two great people. It's about adding you know five, ten, fifty great people. So hiring is always really really important and really challenging. And like, it isn't just about hiring talented people. It's about hiring people who are good cultural fits. And as the company gets bigger, it's hard to make sure that's the case as well. So you know, putting in place the right hiring practices and processes, super important. Um, We also are, as you start to to shift um, what the company does and add on these additional sort of like product lines, like the software solutions that we're selling, that also means that we need different skills and competencies um, amongst the company. So we've never had to have like an implementation team before. Right, like we've never had to have sales engineers before. We um, we've never had people who had to sell software before. Mm-hmm. And so thinking through, you know, how do you make those shifts in your business as you grow and as you're scaling, um, particularly when you have customers who are coming inbound asking for these for these new products, um, that's a big challenge too that we're working through. Awesome, excellent. Yeah, you know, well, to a large extent, the thing that people ask, what keeps me up most at night? Disruption is slow. Right? <laughs> and, um, you know, people have gotten really used to buying consulting and they've gotten really used to using internal full-time employees for everything. And the thought that they're going to procure talent in a far more dynamic way, kind of along a spectrum, is one that hasn't occurred to people in most enterprises. And creating new behavioral patterns either takes a lot of time or a lot of money, sometimes both. 
Um, and so to whatever extent we can, we're trying to get users to onboard each other. So we see, you know, by far our most profitable, long sticking customer relationships are the ones where we found one person, they got another, they got another, and we really went viral from that. Mm -hmm. And that's a, obviously a far more elegant way to grow and exactly what we're trying to do. Awesome. You can think too about like when we go to these companies to have them think differently about how they use their internal employees. Like you're literally saying you should shift the way that you think about incentivizing and managing your employee base. And that's a like really big change. Now the truth is that um, when customers actually see the impact of doing it in sort of a pilot state, like uh, as we've seen with a bunch of our customers now, they quickly are, especially at the most senior levels, willing to like make that jump. But it's a lot of work to do and you wanna take your time doing it. You don't wanna rush. And in typical sort of uh, venture-backed companies, like continuing to grow really fast is really important. But you know we have to balance that tension with um, a smart, uh, deliberate pace of getting these products in place, making sure the products are right, and then scaling them up quickly. Awesome. Uh, this has been great. Uh, I appreciate you guys taking time. I know you're really busy. Yeah. Uh, but congratulations on the, on the recent round of funding, and good luck as you continue to grow, and you get got a lot of things coming. In the thanks, future, man. Yeah, sure. awesome to catch up. Again. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, a lot of fun. Thanks for coming. All right. in. Yeah, thanks. Great. All right, excellent. Oh, good stuff, man. Perfect. That was great. This has been another episode of the Utterly Biased Podcast with Dennis Cohane. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to the Utterly Biased Podcast at iTunes or on SoundCloud. If you aren't signed up for the Utterly Biased Podcast, if you aren't signed up for the Utterly Biased Newsletter, what are you doing? Uh, go to the website, www.utterlybiased.com and sign up. Feel free to shoot me an email anytime about anything. How your day is going, something interesting happening in Boston, uh, you know, what the weather's like at tips at utterlybiased.com. Thank you again for listening.